0: For exercise psychology. It's just goal setting is such a key component of mental skills training.
1: And- Welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Each interview, we talk to leaders who differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. These conversations lead to thought-provoking idea sharing and growth, accompanied by entertaining storytelling. Welcome along on our journey to lifelong learning, improved performance, and a look inside the Competitive Mindset. The Greatest Games Podcast interviews coaches of all levels about the greatest games they have ever been a part of. Chris and Brian post two episodes per week that explore these great games and also takes a dive into each coach's journey and some lessons that they have learned along the way. Catch The Greatest Games Podcast on all podcast platforms, as well as thegreatestgames.podbean.com. Tyler Dragney, welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast.
0: Thanks. How's it going?
1: It's going great. I'm excited to talk to you. It's been a few years. But we have a bit of a history, which I'm sure we'll get into at some point here. But let's start by telling everybody about your journey through life and how it led you to where you are right now.
0: So I started off um, sports as soon as it was allowed with a variety of different sports like t-ball, hockey, wrestling. Hockey was a no-go since I found out the helmet hurt my head and wrestling was just a placeholder till I could start with basketball but I grew up in Reedsburg, Wisconsin, where I continued doing sports through my schooling, switching up sports here and there, except for basketball. Um, Once I finished high school, I kind of just thought I was done with sports, which was obviously kind of tough and hard to accept. But at that time, I knew physical activity was very important to me, which is clear given where I'm at now. So I started planning ways to continue to be active after high school. So very shortly after high school graduation, I started doing some triathlons, I decided on UW-Lacrosse for my undergraduate degree, where I quickly realized that I wanted to be in higher education, potentially as like a professor at a university. Initially, I was in the exercise and sports science program at lacrosse, but then switched to the physical education and adapted physical education later on. It was also at UW-Lacrosse that I realized playing sports was something that I could continue doing and could have as a big part of my life. I'll never forget the first day when I showed up to lacrosse and looked into the window of the rec and I saw people were playing pickup and it was just going on all day and I was allowed to play, so that was pretty exciting. Although just like at many places where pickup happens, the courts had a clear pecking order. So in my first year there, it's pretty intimidating to try to get onto the first court. It sort of felt like um, high school basketball and getting to play with the varsity players when you were um, an underclassman. I continued on with the triathlons I had started uh, after high school, and was eventually able to compete in the National Club Collegiate Triathlon Championships in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. This was a huge first for me. It was the it was a trip with a ton of people who I didn't really know, and a race distance in which I never tried before. It was an Olympic distance, so that's a little over a mile swim, 26-mile bike ride, and a 10k for the run. So the uh, race's first wave of competitors were people who were or would eventually become pros or Olympic qualifiers in triathlon. So that was a little intimidating. I had never done the race of this distance, like I said. So I was placed in the last heat, but I was able to place above my expected time for people in my heat. And the experience was awesome. Swimming in a river was a little scary and daunting at first, but once we got into the water, it was pretty smooth sailing after that. Also at lacrosse, my roommates and I found out that Wisconsin had state tournaments for intramural basketball on a yearly basis. So this led us to competing in three different state tournaments for intramural basketball. In our second year, we actually won the state tournament in Whitewater, uh, which we found out qualified us to go to the national tournament, which in that year was in Ohio State. So unfortunately, some of our teammates couldn't go to the national tournament. So we were able to just put together a team from people we played pickup with, who we Lightly new, and we headed off to Columbus. At the tournament, we were able to make it to the Elite Eight for the national tournament and then got beat by a team from Florida. During my time at lacrosse, I started working at Minnesota Youth Elks Camp in Northern Minnesota for kids who are from disadvantaged backgrounds. The kids would get scholarships from different Elks Lodges around Minnesota to attend. And my job was to take the kids kayaking and pontooning every day, which was as awesome as it sounds. And then having some roles within the leadership amongst the staff. After lacrosse, or while I was at lacrosse, I applied and got into the University of Minnesota master's program in kinesiology and my emphasis in that is in sport and exercise psychology. With that, I was able to get a graduate assistantship, which allows me to actually make albeit a little bit of money, but some money while in graduate school. I was very nervous going into this once I found out I'd be teaching people who are essentially my age, given how I had just graduated, we were teaching upperclassmen at Minnesota. But once I got over that, I found that I really enjoy teaching this group, especially since it's in a content area that I'm so passionate about. And the course that I teach in is sport and exercise psychology, so right with my emphasis. Um, I'm now in my last semester in this program and I'm working on my thesis, which is examining how people feel in high intensity interval training compared to more pr- traditional types of exercise. Um, One highlight since I've been here is last year, I was able to compete at halftime of the Minnesota Timberwolves game in a shooting contest, which I won, which won me a free trip to compete at NBA All-Star Weekend in Chicago. Uh, The trip was unbelievable. As soon as we arrived at the hotel that was provided to my brother and I, my brother actually qualified as the Milwaukee Bucks representative for this contest. (laughs) And we ran into Chris Paul, like literally within 15 minutes of showing up to the hotel. And then on the last night, we actually found out that like Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, and Megan Rapinoe were also staying at the same hotel. So it was a pretty crazy weekend. For the shooting contest, it was on Saturday of the weekend with the qualifiers in the morning and then the final round later in the day. I was able to get in the top four for the qualifiers, which allowed me to compete between Team LeBron and Team Giannis's practice for the final round. And I ended up getting third overall.
1: Wow, congratulations. I um, was oh, <laughs> just going to say that. I'm going to take a little bit of credit for that as you know, a former basketball coach in your life.
0: Oh, absolutely. You deserve all the credit you get. Um, and then my last thing is I've now been accepted into Minnesota's PhD program in sport and exercise psychology.
1: And so someday I'll be calling you Dr. Dregney. <laughs> all right. There are so many things that you just hit on that I want to dive into, but we're going to start chronologically here. So take me through the first time you remember participating in a competition and what you can recall about that.
0: Yeah, so I guess my first real competition would have been in some like wrestling tournament when I was in early elementary school. But that's not really something that I was very passionate about. It was more just like a placeholder until I was allowed to start basketball. So the one that really stuck out to me was in math class when we were early elementary school. Um, We would have these competitions where the teacher would hold up a card that had an equation on it. And there would be between two students. And whoever said it first was the winner for that round. I just remember living for these activities, and whenever the teacher brought out the equation cards, I was always ready to go. For a sports competition memory, I remember in baseball, when we were like eight, nine years old, uh, we weren't supposed to keep score, but everyone knew what the score was, and we all knew who had the most home runs on the team. I remember in my last year of this league that I had three home runs in one year, so definitely something that stood out.
1: Small, humble brag there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you mentioned hard to accept after high school that you weren't going to have sport as a part of your life going forward. And then you found triathlons. Can you tell me how you fell into triathlons and then what what attracted you to it?
0: Yeah. So before I realized that sports could still play a big role in my life, I was just looking for any way to be active that still had some element of competition. So I was at Reedsburg at the time, so there was a lot of triathlons just around uh, the area in Madison. So I was able to sign up for some of those in Madison, started off with the sprint triathlons just to see what it would be about. Tried it with my mountain bike, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone. You just see all these people on road bikes zooming by you, and you're struggling along on your mountain bike. But yeah, it just fulfilled that like need for competition that I guess I had. And, then, and now I've done probably over 10 triathlons. Um, I've only done one still that Olympic one that was in Alabama but yeah something I want to keep doing
1: you mentioned the first time you did the triathlon and the fear can you take me through your mindset going into the water for the first time and and how you overcame that fear
0: yeah so Obviously, I was practicing for this race in Alabama, but I wasn't jumping in like the Mississippi River in lacrosse to go practice this race. I had no idea that we were going to be swimming in a river. So I was like, what's this current going to be like? It's pretty cold. A lot of people have wetsuits on. I didn't have one. So it was sort of just something I was like, "Okay, I know how to swim. I need to just do what I do in the pool. Maybe I need to take a couple extra breathing breaks with the river, but just hop in, get through the first part, and then I should be smooth gliding through the rest of it. And that ended up working out.
1: What's your favorite part of the triathlon? Which activity?
0: Probably the run. I hate biking so much. I don't know why, but you can just tell when people are way better at biking than me because I just, I know I might be able to catch them in the run, but they'll just zoom by me on the bikes. I'm like, there's no way I can do that. But yeah, probably the run.
1: So mentally, how do you get yourself through the biking part when you have a disdain for it?
0: That's a good question. Um, I've tried a couple different strategies. Like chunking it out. So in Alabama, it was a super long ride. So I knew I needed like some carbs, like those jet little gel packets that are the carb gels. Um, so that's a good way to chunk it out that I did for that race. I had two of them take to my bike. So after like the first third of the bike, um, I ate the second or the first one. Then after the next third, um, I ate the second one. I have like a mile tracker on my bike, so it just helps me track it out so I can just, okay, check mark, I've done that, just two-thirds left, check mark, I did that, one-third left, and then I did my run.
1: So the recreational sport part, I think, is really interesting because a lot of people don't understand that after high school, there still is the opportunity to be competitive, and you mentioned the state basketball tournament, shout out to Mo McAlpine at UWL, she was there when I was there, I'm sure you know who she is yeah. uh, as well, and that is a pretty unique event that was hosted at lacrosse when I was there and I got to watch it and there's a good level of basketball. Can you kind of talk me through your competitiveness with that and why it was important for you to compete and win that?
0: Yeah, so I think the cool thing about the rec sports is you're literally just choosing your team. So my team was all my roommates and then our friends we play basketball with. So uh, with all the time we spent together, we would obviously developed some pretty good chemistry on the court and that sort of I think that builds that like competition in you because you know you guys are going to play as well as you can together and you want to see if it's as good as it can be for everyone else so having the opportunity to go play against all these other schools from Wisconsin especially playing Madison I think being able to play and beat them is kind of big from the D3 schools because you just Madison has their club team, they're running an offense, and we're just coming in with our friends, our roommates, and we're able to take them down. So that's pretty exciting.
1: Are you driven when you compete by the fear of losing or the joy of winning?
0: Yeah, so you sent me these questions early. So I thought that one was really interesting and something that I thought about for a while. I felt like it's going to be a pretty grad school answer, but I thought it depended, depending on the um, situation that I was in. So I would say that if I'm in a situation where I'm not very confident or I have little experience in what I'm doing, then I felt like I was driven by the fear of losing. So an example of that was when I was shooting at halftime of the Timberwolves game. I was afraid of losing because I knew what was on the line was a trip to All-Star Weekend, which is not something that I ever anticipated going to. So I practiced a ton leading up to this event, but my performance was not good. I was able to squeak out a win, but it was just barely. But then I thought that if it was something that I had more confidence in, more experience in, then it was something where I was going for the joy of winning and um, I was actually able to enjoy that more. So an example of that would be when I did my first guest lecture here at the University of Minnesota, it was something that I was nervous about, but my lecture was about Phi Ed, And that's obviously what my background is in for my undergrad. So I knew that in the classroom, I was the one who knew the most about this topic. And I was able to sort of relax a little bit and have more fun with it. And then looking back on it, I felt like I did well. And it was more of like the joy of winning.
1: So I wanted to ask you specifically about that first time steps in front of students essentially you mentioned peers but from age sake teaching them can you walk me through your mindset prior to the day the, the day leading up the hours leading up to that lecture and where your headspace was at
0: yeah so like I said I had sat in a class with them earlier so I knew who my students were and I realized like oh my god these guys are my age um so I'd sort of lean back on my experience from teaching Phi because I had to student teach, even though that was with elementary school students. Just like making sure I was prepared, knowing what I was going to talk about, because especially with these students, they're going to realize like this guy does not know what he's talking about. So I really felt like I needed to prove myself in that situation. But then when it's talking about something that I'm pretty confident in, then it just becomes easy after you init- or get into it initially.
1: So success has followed you, I mean, just accomplishing the, the triathlon bit, the state championship for basketball and intramurals, I would say getting into grad school, getting a GA, getting into uh, you know doctorate program is successful in my eyes, and I'm sure that there's more out there that you want to accomplish, but can you tell me how success and the definition of it or what it means to you has changed over the course of your life, even though you're still very young?
0: Yes, okay. Um, yeah, so obviously I want a lot more, but early on, I feel like I viewed success being defined by how I perform relative to, um, the performance of peers and people around me. Um, so if it was in school, I wanted to score higher on the social studies test or higher than my friends would score on the test. And I think this drive was strengthened as my group of friends felt the same way in team sports. I was driven by our team winning, like in youth basketball, everyone's after the blue ribbon, Um, But as I got older, and especially after leaving high school and getting further into my time at lacrosse, I felt like my perception of success um, is now or became more defined by how I perform relative to the expectations I hold for myself. So as an example for this, back to the National Collegiate Club Triathlon Championships, if I had held the belief that I needed to win that race to have it be successful, I would have been really disappointed uh, because there's no way I was going to beat those future Olympian and pro triathletes. But since I had gone into it with the mindset that my idea of success was to prove to myself that I could compete or complete the race with a time that I deemed to be like good or excellent. And it just having that mindset made my experience much more positive and fulfilling. The between person comparison is still present in um, how I just operate. I remember when starting my master's program at Minnesota, I was definitely questioning how I compared to my new peers. It felt like everyone around me had spent years working for universities and on groundbreaking research. And I was just like wondering, how do I fit in here? But then once I was able to come to the realization that my experiences that led me to going to Minnesota, although they were different than everyone else, they were also valuable. So it was easier for me to get back to that mindset of defining success based off my own expectations rather than comparison with the others.
1: So outside of sport, how do you use competition in your daily life now with your graduate program, and then eventually, you know, into your PhD, how do you make that connection from how you use competition as sport to be and find success to what it is now in your endeavors?
0: Right. Um, So as I talked about a little bit, I try to view competition as trying to be to best what I've already done previously, rather than attempting to be the the best in a group, which I think leads me to feeling like I'm at a higher level of success and more fulfilled with what I'm doing. My experience here at the University of Minnesota as a researcher, my research experience was pretty limited compared to many of the people in my program. And a big part of research is presenting on the research that you've done. So when we give like presentations in class or in different conferences, if my goal was to be the best presenter in the group, um, it might be, it should be attainable eventually, but right now it's just not realistic. So having that real unrealistic goal and then failing to meet it would obviously Lead to disappointment and possibly questioning again my ability to be here, and might even limit my drive to improve. But if I keep my goal as to create and deliver a presentation that's interesting and informative, using the skills that I have and I'm still working on, there's just a better chance that I'll be successful in this like competition with myself to continue improving. And then if I use what I've learned from the things that I might make mistakes on in those presentations, I can just continue improving or improving and competing with myself.
1: So you mentioned goals and where did you learn goal setting from?
0: I guess it wasn't really something that was taught to me. I mean, now it's a pretty big part of my education being in sport and exercise psychology. Obviously, goal setting is huge in that. Um, but it wasn't really something that someone had like laid out for me. It was something that I sort of just had to figure out. Because like I said right away, I didn't feel necessarily that I belonged at the university. These people were talking about all these universities they had taught at. And I was like, OK, so how can I? make it that I fit in and succeed here. And it was just setting out those goals, making sure I get this done at this time and just being clear and setting out a plan for myself that was accomplishable, but also challenging to help myself keep improving.
1: You just said something obviously it's important in my program. Now it's not obvious to me. Why is goal setting obvious in, in your field?
0: Yeah. Okay. For an exercise psychology, it's just goal setting is such a key component of mental skills training and especially for athletes, just making sure that they're setting clear attainable goals that can help them improve. If you're setting just general goals, like, oh, I wanna get through this program, then I have to go back and ask myself, well, how do I plan on doing that? What are the steps I'm gonna to take to make sure that I'm successful? And then I have to define what is success in this program? Is that getting a 4.0? Is that having a paper published? Is that getting my thesis done on time? Just defining what that looks like. And you can obviously, um, well, maybe not obvious, but you can extend that to sports. If you want to improve your, if you want to get better at basketball, what do you want to improve? Do you want to become a better three-point shooter? Do you want to become a better lateral defender? It's just, you need to be specific about what you're doing, how you want to accomplish it, and just makes it easier to attain those goals.
1: So we just dipped our foot in the psychology part. I'm going to ask you one one more psychology question as I just led you into that last one. One thing that I've been diving into a little bit lately is what I call tunnel vision, So like blocking out external noise and the ability to do that. But also when we have a success or a win, we instantly move on to the next thing rather than experiencing the joy with that. And the alternate side of that would be being able to take in all of the noise. Like for example, you hit a game winning shot and you can hear all the cheers and everything, right? But the the alternate personality would essentially say okay it's either overtime or the next game or whatever is next what goes into developing that difference in personality
0: so i've not done a ton of research on this but just from listening to a lot of like pro athlete interviews and reading a couple books um i know you always hear the phrase never too high never too low so if you're gonna hit if you hit that game winning shot i think it's great to like feel joy in that because you just did something awesome but you need to like celebrate that for the night but then you need to move on to make or continue working at that steady pace because you get on that high but then what happens the next low that happens are you just going to crash down or are you going to be able to regress to the middle um i think having that mindset of never too high never too low is really important just to be able to produce like that steady um output in what you're doing no matter what you're working on so if i'm writing a paper it's really low reviews am i just gonna like tear myself apart, or am I going to try to go back, see what I did wrong, and just continue on. and keep
1: yeah, Perfect. Good uh, thinking on your feet answer there. So with you attaining your PhD, there's goals involved with that. What is your, at this point, because nothing is static, things change, but at, at this point, what is your ultimate career goal?
0: Yeah, so early on um, in my time at lacrosse, uh, I've been passionate about helping people lead physically active lifestyles in a manner that they enjoy. Um, So this and my passion for understanding more of the mental aspects and skills that impact athletes still is what continues to drive me. Beyond my interest in just learning more about that, I'm interested in researching and I, I do believe I'm striving or working towards becoming a professor at a university. I found that I really enjoy teaching a wide group of individuals with my experience teaching FIAD at different levels and now teaching undergrad students. I just really enjoy teaching and especially the group I'm teaching now. I hope that continues to be a huge part of what I do in my future work. I also love the idea of just continuously learning. And that's a big part of being a professor is continuing research, collaborating with other professionals at conferences and presentations. Um, and then lastly, um, because I really like the Phi Ed part of it where I'm working with students, teaching them how they can be physically active, especially high school athletes after they're done with sports, showing them all the options that are available to them so they can keep being um, physically active after they're done. So attempting to implement the research that exists is a big goal of mine. So that could be implementing a physical activity intervention in a community that um, uses strategies to increase physical activity in a maintainable way. Um, It could also include working with athletes on mental strategies that can enhance one's mindset during competition, or like I said, helping athletes transition from their playing careers to more leisure time, physical activity.
1: Good luck with that. (laughs) So you, you mentioned really loving teaching. Can you put your finger on like one aspect of teaching that you really have a passion for or what draws you to it?
0: When I started teaching, I was at an elementary school and uh, I always knew I really liked teaching like the really young groups, so K through five. They bring a lot of excitement to Fayette, as you would expect. They see all the hula hoops and all the equipment spread out and they just come in. They're just ready to go. It's harder to get them to settle down quick to explain what's happening. Then you have to worry about motivating them to do that. So I really like that group. So I wasn't sure how I would like teaching the undergrads. But given that I'm teaching an area that's pretty specific, um, that they're not gonna take that class if they're not interested in it, I found that they also come in with a pretty, maybe not quite as eager as a kindergartner coming in to seeing a game set up, but um, they are interested in learning it and they're gonna engage in conversation. So having people like respond to something I'm interested in is just something that I think a lot of people would find joy in. You're just, basically, it just feels like we're just talking about different concepts and talking about the way we. View these certain
1: exercise topics. You have a student who just isn't quite connecting or just isn't quite grasping what you're teaching. What's a method or a tool that you're able to use to try to connect with them to help pull them along to educate and learn the subject matter, whatever it may be? And again, this is. This is probably drastically different from K through five to people that you're currently teaching. So I'll let you kind of take it wherever you want.
0: Well, I'll start with K through five. Like, it's really uh, a lot of the kids don't have the same interest, obviously. So if I present a game that's set up in like a dinosaur game, but really I'm just trying to teach them how to skip. Teaching like the kindergartners' locomotor skills. If I'm just wanting them to skip, I don't really care if they grasp onto the dinosaurs. So, if that's something that they're not interested in, just relating it to them. So, a lot of kids were interested in Fortnite when I was student teaching. So, if we were able to incorporate Fortnite into how we were teaching them skills, it got them interested in it and they didn't even realize that they were working on these things that I was looking for. Um, So, relating it to them, or maybe we also are, I was in the adapted physical education program, so working with kids with disabilities. So, in some instances I might need to lower the difficulty level or raise the difficulty level to make sure that I'm meeting the needs of the kids. So if I was asking the kids to practice their hopping in K-5, through maybe I'm having them try to hop five times in a row. This is just a really simple example. But then if it's a student who's struggling with balance, um, maybe just challenge them to twice in a row and have them celebrate the same way that a student who's getting five in a row would. Here at the university, I have students who might be like English language learners, So working with them and just making sure that they're conveying their main point rather than maybe docking them for as many points when they're just not hitting the grammar, since a lot of what I do is grading papers when we sign them, obviously. So just making sure they're hitting those points, talking to them, seeing what they may be confused about, and just understanding how you can make it easier. So bouncing back again to K through five, one thing I really loved doing when I was teaching would be asking them how they think the lesson can improve. Because if I'm designing it for them, they might have the best feedback on what would be the best way to teach them. As long as I'm keeping like teaching them skipping or teaching them hopping, making sure that's still in there, but incorporating how they feel would be best to teach it to them.
1: I was going to ask, what's your favorite paper topic to assign?
0: (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't have a ton of flexibility with that being a (laughs) GA. But my favorite one's to read. I could answer that. I like uh, We do uh, imagery lab. So we play an example of like an imagery script that athletes or people who are exercising might use. And then the students have to write their own imagery lab. So this last semester, I created that lab. And so I had the student, they had to write a lab for their their roommate or someone in their family, or they could choose someone who was famous. And then they had to write that imagery script they felt that person would benefit from and then justify why that person would benefit from the script. So I think that's that's. really
1: Can you go a little bit deeper into that and what an imagery script is and what the outcome is supposed to be of that lab?
0: An example of an imagery script that I had to create, we were doing like a basketball player who was returning from injury. We were saying they had a broken wrist, so they couldn't practice shooting, but they were still driven. They wanted to practice shooting and they were going a little crazy. So imagery was something that we could do that would allow them to mentally practice and envision themselves shooting without actually, while giving their wrist a break, um, while it recovered from injury. So the script started off like, okay, picture yourself, you're on the court, you see the square on the backboard, and if you're just really setting the scene for them so that they can then continue to envision themselves shooting. So you're laying out all their environment, what they see, what they might hear, and then you go through, you're going through the form, you're flicking your wrists, you're seeing the ball go through the net, you say in your head, swish. And you go through that and you're still getting those mental repetitions, even though you're not able to get the physical repetitions. And then imagery can be used in a lot of different situations, whether it's rehab or you just want to continue improving different skills.
1: Can you nerd out on the psychology part of that and tell me how that's important and why that's helpful?
0: I I don't know if you've read the book, The Inner Game of Tennis. It's all about (laughs) mental imagery. (laughs) Have you read that?
1: I have been recommended that book about 12 times now. And I have not read it, but it's funny. I laughed because literally yesterday somebody recommended it to me. So so you saying it right now, I think pushes me over the edge that that's gonna be my second book of January. So so I have not read it yet, but I've heard plenty about it, but continue on.
0: So it's sort of like the same thing they're saying. If you are looking or you have a good example with good form in your head, then it's a lot easier for you to recreate that. So if I'm gonna go shoot baskets, if I have an image of Steph Curry shooting in my head, that's going to give me what my shot needs to look like. Obviously, it's not going to be as successful as Steph Curry might, but I'll have that positive example in my head that's just showing me what I need to look like from my feet to my head.
1: So before you were at the All-Star game, did you visualize Steph Curry? Is that where you were?
0: was trying i was trying a lot of different things i was like i gotta get my head right on this because the tuos game i was obviously we're in like front of 20,000 30,000 people and i've never played basketball in front of that many people so that one was a struggle but then for the all-star game i was able to make it into the finals so that one was a little more successful so i like to think that maybe i just got a little bit better at the imagery and the relaxation training that i was learning about
1: you're a better man than me we did a similar competition at the big 10 tournament and nobody wanted to go first right and i was like well I was a college basketball player. I'll go first. Out on the first shot. Just really. My friends have not let me live it down yet. It's been been real fun. All right. So I'm going to get you out of here on on a fun question. Make you think on your feet a little bit, especially with the psychology background that you have now. This should be entertaining for me to watch you uh, figure this out. So if you could equate yourself to any item in your refrigerator or maybe you're a college student, maybe your parents refrigerator. So you have a little bit bigger choice to choose from. What item in that refrigerator would best represent who you are as a person? I thought you were texting your mom for the answer.
0: <laughs> I had to ask what's in the fridge. <laughs> okay. So one item in the fridge that represents me. I'm tempted to say garlic because I love it so much, but I don't, <laughs> that's a little, it might be a little strong for me. I think like a pesto because I can, I think pesto is a pretty versatile thing you got. I like it on sandwiches. I like it on noodles. I like it on eggs. So it doesn't go on everything, but I think it works in a lot of situations. And I think I've shown that I can work in a lot of different situations, um, whether it's teaching or I guess it's a lot of stuff in school, but in sports um, with friends, different ways I can fit in. So can't fit in everywhere but i think i can fit in a lot of places so i'm gonna go with the pesto
1: pesto that that's a good answer i can handle that i have never heard that that answer to that question so far so that's good i like that originality
0: i think it helped that um when i was home last week my brother bought some pesto so it was fresh in (laughs) the (laughs) mind
1: recency bias okay we can we can deal with that (laughs) all right tyler thanks for coming on the competitive mindset podcast
0: yes thanks for having me
1: Next time on Competitive Mindset. I was finally, in my mind, solidified as a professional athlete. Competitive Mindset music was produced by DJ Jojo Moore, and all images were created by Elena Keel. Be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review, and follow us at Competitive Pod.